This podcast is made possible by the generosity of listeners like you. Kindly consider a contribution through Patreon or PayPal. Links are in the details box. Patreon is a monthly subscription that you can cancel anytime. And PayPal is a one-time donation. Any amount is appreciated. And follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. The handle, The Beirut Banyan. And you can find us on our YouTube channel with the same name. And you can start watching the episodes as they're released. Thank you for listening. And thank you for watching. I'm Rani Shatah, and this is the Beirut Banyan. For me, it's a thrill to get to speak to somebody for the first time, never having met that person, but in a sense, in a way, kind of knowing that person already, and that's mostly thanks to Twitter, social media, you kind of gauge someone's personality, perhaps perhaps unfairly sometimes, through how they present themselves online. Right. And for me, it's usually, ah, that's the kind of person I want to talk to. And when you released your recent piece, in a way, uh, commemorating, but also perhaps reluctantly recognizing the anniversary that passed, October 17, yeah. uh, a month ago, that was the exact kind of piece that resonated with me. And that's pretty much why I reached out. And you're very generous. You were willing to, to do this. I know some time has passed since then, but I think it's still all the more important to reflect on what that marker means and perhaps where we are right now. Now, I'm going to start with a very broad question. And you say as much as you'd like. Things seem paralyzed in, in every way possible. Politics, economics, uh, society itself, in a way, feels paralyzed. And I think a number of reasons are not necessarily domestic Lebanese. I mean, one could argue that COVID has paralyzed the world to a point. But then there are Lebanese components that are very particular, uh, and nothing is moving forward, or nothing is moving what seems to be in the right direction. So, very broad question. Is that, in a way, an unfair assessment of where we are? Does that diminish from any positive accomplishments that have been made in the last year, going back to October 2019? Or is that in a way understating it, that things are much worse than we'd like to admit? Well, um, well let me start by really thanking you for inviting me and uh, for this very generous uh, introduction. Uh, I've also enjoyed your podcast and I've, uh, I, I was really glad to, uh, to see many of my friends actually uh, discuss topics that are in, uh, of interest to them and, and to, to many of us as well on this podcast. So I'm, I'm really glad to join. Um, you know, this question of uh, assessment um, is, a, is a question that I find very tricky and, and difficult because, you know, I can assess from where I am, mm. uh, but that would be my personal assessment uh, given my position and my positionality mm. uh, in this society. And I think, um, you know, it's it would be unfair uh, to generalize. Uh, uh, people are living very different experiences depending on who they are and where they are in this country and, uh, you know, what kind of access uh, they have to uh, to different things from uh, income to, to jobs to uh, shelter, etc. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. um, 
There is a sense at the surface uh, that things are stagnant and that uh, there isn't much moving, but it's it's a bit of, you know, when a train is moving too fast or when you're on a plane and it's moving so fast that you, you can't really feel it's moving. Uh, I think this is, this is uh, where we are. Things are moving so fast. And, you know, as a sociologist, the first thing I, uh, uh, you know, I tell uh, people interested in sociology is that there is no society that doesn't change. It doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so, you know, societies change all the time, every day. Um, and I think this is really an exceptional year. As you said, it's a, globally, it's an exceptional year, right? I mean, the whole world is, is uh, uh, um, you know, is trying to wrap their head around uh, the pandemic. Yeah, uh, that is that that is that is really causing, and that that will um, has already caused and continues to cause uh, tremendous uh, transformations in in our societies uh, around the globe. But I think Lebanon specifically is probably the most uh, uh, tragic story of, of the year with uh, convergence of all these unfortunate events. Um, and, and also I think it's specifically tragic because it comes in uh, such a very short time after a period of such high hopes. The speed with which the financial crisis deepened is, uh, is also um, uh, you know, exceptional. Um, in this context, not uh, it's not exceptional to have a crisis, but but you know the magnitude, of it. and uh, uh, you know on top of that uh, the the explosion on August fourth, which was really the, uh, yeah. you know, the the last the last blow. Um, so, I mean, with all of this, it, so if you, if one looks at it from like from a distance, uh, it's so much happening in such a, a short period of time. I think the deadlock itself is. Um, uh, is actually uh, a reflection of how how quickly and uncertainly things are moving. Um, uh, if things were not moving, I think it would have it would have been easier to form a, a government. Right. Uh, but because you know things are pending on so many different pieces of the puzzle that are, that are still unclear. You know, uh, the U.S. elections, the regional uh, transformations that are huge, um, and and this uh, you know the geopolitics uh, uh, more broadly. Uh, but also some internal uh, transformations, uh, and this is why um, you know uh, it's uh, we feel that there's there's a deadlock, but it's not uh, stagnant. I almost sense that we've been trying to do variations of these types of changes over the years. Not the first time. Lebanon is sort of prone to attempts at change every so often, and the Ustink movement is not that long ago. Yeah. And the, the March 2005 protests are not that long ago. And it's, you know, 15 years of sort of constant attempts, maybe perhaps at different, different subjects emerging. But October 17, 2019, everything is discussed for the first time in one, in one argument, in one protest movement. Then a year later, I can't imagine Lebanon improving anytime soon. W would, you put, would you put the burden at least in terms of where we are in, in the current moment, the, the decline, the pain, sort of the, the unexpected pain perhaps that we didn't see coming a year ago. Do you put the burden here purely on that you, you can't do this type of radical change when there's so much stacked against you? Not COVID, not necessarily the Lira tumbling, which is a dramatic experience, but that the blasts in itself shook everyone to their core. And it would be unfair 
perhaps to expect dramatic change, positive change in the near future. There's just too much happening. And you can't sort of expect the population to keep pushing and pushing and pushing permanently. Uh, yes and no. I think, um, so, uh, um, you know, we are at a point where um, uh, it's impossible to, uh, you know, change will happen in all cases uh, because mm. it's, uh, you know, we are at, uh, it's, we've really, I mean, I don't know, I, I don't believe in rock bottom anymore, so I'm not sure I can say we've hit uh, rock bottom, but yeah. I, um, you know, but the situation, I mean, we're talking about, uh, it's a matter of of months if there's no money pumped into the country it's uh, you know we are, it's already horrible now and it's going to be even worse so yeah. um so you know these are critical junctures in history where uh, things can only uh, you know from there uh, so i'm not saying that things can only become better things can actually get much worse and and, and this is why i'm saying I'm, maybe we're not yet uh, uh, at rock bottom but after that uh, you know it, to me it's clear that the taif is done and I think, uh, I think since 2005, actually, um, and, you know, uh, uh, since then, these cycles of, of mobilization are, uh, you know, there's a crisis of uh, governance, governance in Lebanon. Uh, but there is also, a, so understanding and beyond, uh, beyond this dichotomy of success and failure that I, that I really don't like in, in, um, in terms of, of just, a, 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 it's, it's not a good paradigm to think about uprisings uh, mm, yeah. be because, uh, you know, we, we, we talk about the French Revolution as a great success. Uh, well, it took eight decades uh, before <laughs> before the first uh, uh, republic, right? Yeah. So why do we expect the the Arab uprisings to achieve everything in ten years? Um, uh, like at least give us a few decades. Um, and it's also it's also very it's it's a very uh, complex situation. Uh, you're right. There's a, there there are variations. Uh, Tunisia is probably one of the most successful uh, uh, in the country with all its problems. And, you know, they will find the opposition in Tunisia still uh, uh, unhappy with many, many things and maybe rightly so, uh, but, but they managed to have a sort of a, tra a transition. Um, Sudan is another country that also uh, uh, recently, I mean, it's another, it's, it's one of the second wave of, upri of the uprising. Right. So mm -hmm. it's just that, uh, just a few months before uh, Lebanon, uh, they also managed to have a sort of a transition, of course, I mean, there's, uh, you know, problems with the, the government, with the military uh, forces, etc. But, uh, but still, uh, they ousted a, a dictator and they have a, a, a political transition. Mm -hmm. um, and in Lebanon, it's, it's more complex because, uh, because of, um, uh, you know, because of the system itself. Um, you know, it's not a system that has uh, a clear uh, uh, dictator, and it's a system that, that is uh, complex in, in the sense that um, it's a system that uh, controls people um, in their everyday mm, mm. without, with, so, you know, I, I see it as a very dictatorial uh, regime, but it doesn't, uh, it doesn't have that label. Um, because of the political economy of, of sectarianism uh, and you know the the, the, the I mean post-war it has really become a mafia state more than uh, more than anything else um, but uh, uh, so I think you know change is is bound to happen uh, in what direction it can be uh, it can go to even uglier uh, directions which mm, are mm. more or more violence mm. um, and this is not completely unlikely uh, or um, you know, a miracle will, will happen and, and <laughs> things will change. But one one important thing to, to say here is that 
so there there are the complexities of you know it's a difficult system to 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 fight there's also the other side of the story which is that um uh, we also as forces of the opposition um are not ready yet or are not organized enough right, right. so whether yes. so if we if we if we talk about um, whether it's sudan or it's uh, tunisia in both cases what really pushed uh, uh, you know really the the, the, the scaffolding of of the uprising was through, um, in both cases, actually, either labor unions or uh, or uh, professional associations that were able to work very closely with political uh, parties right. um, to lead that transition. So the idea, so there, there were leaders and there were organizations. In Lebanon, um, because of this, uh, uh, you know, this type of, um, uh, I mean, there is more freedom and liberty, but in the past 30 years, uh, the, the neoliberal approach uh, and, and the neoliberal system uh, has created a, a society that is where civil society in Lebanon is equal to NGOs. Uh, civil society as a concept is much broader than just uh, NGOs, right? It's, <laughs> it can be political parties. It can sure. be, yes. uh, but in Lebanon, they're equal to each other. Mm. Um, uh, and, and therefore, I mean, over the past 30 years, activism and opposition has taken the shape of, uh, you know, single issue campaigns, uh, I mean, what we call academically new social movements, right? Um, and in that sense, we saw the difficulties of uh, building organizations, of having a leadership, uh, uh, which is very different from 2005, where, you know, there were more uh, political parties that were involved right. uh, and uh, for that change. I, I know, and I, I like that you're bringing up in a way the, in a way it's the essence of the piece and it's maybe appropriate to introduce it here. Came out in uh, Middle East Eye, October 19th. So just, a, just over a month ago, Lebanon's unfinished revolution, where next? And the, the subheading, mm -hmm. without a guiding theoretical and political project, Lebanon's October uprising will continue to suffer from a lack of vision. Because I think of institutions that are able to step in. And they're not institutions that are there to derail or in a way pervert the protesters' aspirations. They're there to usher in transition, positive, not, not negative. And, and I mean, the EU to me is sort of a, that kind of institution, but on a regional scale that can help alleviate some of the crises that, that come with, with dramatic change. In our part of the world, and Tunisia may be that the shining star, but the other countries, and sort of we're alluding to them in a bit, uh, in a way that there are many failed stories as well. Is that is, is Lebanon in a way similar to those experiences where the opposition, if you will, or the 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 structure of the opposition is just too fluid, and that fluidity helps deliver protest movements, but it doesn't necessarily deliver political change. Is that a fair way of looking at it? Or, or is Lebanon really a unique case that the Lebanese system, which you, which you referred to earlier, is such a complicated machine that, the, that you can't really compare it, that there's no proper comparison, at least to our attempts at, at ushering in something new? No, I don't think Lebanon is exceptional. I think, I mean, the Lebanese system is a system that I would... Uh, diagnose as a uh, it's, it's a system of, of sectarian neoliberalism you know this is a system that has two main uh, um, uh, components and uh, and the opposition needs to uh, needs to fight both at the same time mm -hmm. I mean uh, one of the from my perspective uh, some of the shortcomings are that some people are too focused on 
just the sectarian aspects. Mm? Right. And in many cases, this is something that, that is dealt with uh, at the level of activism and, and what I think is, is a bit of a shallow way because and there's this belief that a national uh, or you know, a national discourse will necessarily be uh, uh, anti-sectarian, right? Or waving the Lebanese flag means that we are uh, over sectarianism. Mm. Uh, but, I, I, you know, I'd like to argue that actually sectarianism is another form of nationalism. Uh, so, you know, I mean, we and, and this is maybe one of, and this is probably a longer discussion, but, you know, we're always taught even at schools here that, uh, you know, to, to fight sectarianism, we need to uh, we need to become uh, nationalists. Uh, I don't think this is the necessity, and we've seen mm. how this this is very, uh, you know, uh, people mobilized in 2005, people mobilized in several other uh, episodes, and the latest was in 2019 with the national anthem. Would, but sectarianism is not about this. Uh, it's not about. Yeah love or hatred it's not of course it creates an identity but it's not only an identity sectarianism is a system um and uh, you know uh, as i said at the beginning it has its political economy it has yes. a structure yeah. it has so we need to move beyond just this discursive of i love lebanon and therefore i'm not sectarian the next morning you know i might be, uh, become sectarian again uh, so this is this will not really change uh, a lot so unless we really tie this to the other uh, uh, aspect of the, the structure of, of the Lebanese uh, system, which is um, neoliberalism, um, and you know, uh, and how this is a system that flourishes on uh, um, uh, either rolling back the state or, or weakening state institutions, mm. or using the state for uh, the benefit of, of sectarian leaders. Um, so this is this is where it, it, the story gets a bit more complicated, but this does not really make it an exceptional story. In Iraq, people are dealing with a very similar right. uh, yeah. with a very yes. similar uh, system, right? Right. right. Uh, so so I think that um, uh, you know it's it's not impossible for a change to happen, and uh, you know, and I think that uh, uh, there is there is a, some people some people in the opposition that read the problem as being a problem of corruption only. Um, uh, which is also something that I don't really uh, uh, subscribe to. And uh, uh, of course, there's corruption, but I don't think this is the main uh, yeah. issue. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, and, you know, this, the, uh, uh, the solution that if we ju just change the individuals, if we keep the system and we change the individuals, uh, 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 we will have something that, uh, something that is magically different. Huh. Uh, yeah. uh, I don't think so. I mean, just uh, yesterday or, or a few days ago, the... Um, Malham uh, uh, Khalaf uh, yes, right. um, uh, has, uh, you know, launched this this new call to, mm -hmm. and you know, there's a lot of people are arguing the same thing that we have a great constitution. Let's just, uh, uh, you know, implement it. Uh, I am from the opinion that we need to change the constitution, and I think this is what a revolution would mean. Um, a, a revolution is about changing. Uh, it's it's not just about some bad guys. Uh, that are, you know, uh, that are uh, just, uh, you know, uh, uh, the, the, the bad characters and we need to get rid of them and, and then everything would work. Um, because otherwise, you know, for uh, for my generation, I think your generation and the generation that hey, is a bit younger than us. Uh, oh, okay, yeah, uh, our, uh, yeah, yeah. Don't put me. Don't put me too far up. No, I'm, no, no. I'm, I'm saying yeah. I'm putting you in my same generation. <laughs> right. I'm, I'm saying, I mean, for us, if we just wait, yeah. you know, time will do it. I mean, these guys biologically are not going to stay uh, right. forever. No, so why, that, so why, true. so why a revolution? Let's just wait. Uh, yeah. So I, so again, this is why I'm saying 
a revolution is about, uh, or, you know, this uprising was about really a change in the structure of the system. It's not about cosmetic changes. And therefore, yes, right, right. Uh, you know, we should, we should expect um, uh, this to be a long-term process that will continue, I think, with, uh, uh, you know, its ebbs and flows. And, um, uh, you know, eventually it should lead somewhere. Does the region allow for political change that is conducive to protesters' aspirations? And I'll sort of reflect on, on uh, other regions. Case in point is the Eastern, Euro Eastern European uh, example where they're in a way neutralized from conflict in that sense. You don't have America and the Soviet Union vying for influence anymore. The region has sort of pacified itself to a point that you can have change and the change sticks. Our part of the world, it seems like every time there's a political protest, the region is overwhelmingly concerned at either crushing it or steering it in a direction that's not conducive. Is that in a way downplaying the domestic component? Meaning that people should be able to organize regardless, that the region is not the excuse or is it that the region is really a burden that it takes so long in our part of the world, in particular in Lebanon, because Lebanon is sort of intimately involved in regional crises without going sort of down the rabbit hole of geopolitics, just in terms of that we're influenced so much. And that goes back to the sectarian, you, you, in a way you're saying it, that the sectarianism is a form of nationalism and that's sort of that ties us to the region in unhealthy ways rather than healthy ways. No, I think uh, you know. I, I mean, like any other uh, part of the world. Uh, but you're right to say that maybe Lebanon is is trapped with its uh, geography. Mm. Um, <laughs> Um, you know, but I, I think any movement will have to deal with domestic and geo and regional or, or geopolitical questions. And 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 my own understanding of uh, what is unfolding in, in Lebanon and, and but also in the world, it's not it's not just mere coincidence that mm. uprisings are are taking place uh, almost at every corner of, of this yeah, planet. That's true. Uh, yeah. From Chile to uh, to uh, Belarus to uh, uh, Georgia to I mean every corner of this of this globe. Um, so to me, these these are uh, struggles that are interconnected. They mm. have their, uh, I mean, each one has its own context, so is particular in a way, but none of them is exceptional. Uh, so none of them is something that is completely different and right, that is, right. uh, you know, that has its own uh, uh, formulas and its own uh, chemistry. Uh, and I think this is this is because uh, there is a global system in, in, uh, on this planet, right? Um, uh, there's there's a global system that is creating. The huge inequalities, and again, it's also not haphazard that uh, you know the past ten years in the Middle East and uh, uh, North Africa uh, have been so turbulent. This is the this is the region of the world that has the highest rate of youth unemployment right. uh, yeah. globally. This is the region of the world that has the highest rates of inequalities. Yes. Uh, uh, so these are not details. Uh, these are these are real factors that uh, you know socially. Uh, 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 create the, the types of tensions that can lead to uprisings. Right. And, and but these are uprisings. And as I was trying to, to argue in this piece that, you know, thinking about uprisings or revolutions in the 21st century, I don't think we should uh, keep on using uh, the, the definitions of, of revolutions in the 19th century or the 20th century. We can learn from them. Mm. But uh, we see these uprisings taking the shape in most cases of like social explosions, uh, 
you know, it's just, I mean, people have gotten to a point where things are just, you know, it, it just explodes in the streets. Um, and, and hence the lack of organization, et cetera. So, um, so yeah, there's a difficulty of dealing with domestic and uh, regional power dynamics. And uh, this is one of, this is of course, one of the difficulties of, of the uprising. It's also difficult to imagine that you can, uh, you know, change the word from, uh, from Lebanon. Uh, and this is why, <laughs> this is why, uh, you know, uh, solidarity between those different movements. Uh, and, and uh, you know, when people ask us, uh, you know, what, what do you need in Lebanon? Yeah, I mean, you know, you can send you can send donations, uh, charity, uh, you know, you, if you want. Uh, but I think we need political solidarity. We need those movements to push together for a more just world. I mean, for me, it's essentially a, a matter of injustice. And uh, the the, uh, the the Lebanese case is the clearest in the region in the past ten years, eleven years, um, where this is an uprising that has started clearly because of an economic crisis. Right. So it's right, not yes. a dictator. It's not, you know, it's it's clearly because of economic uh, 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 an economic crisis. So yeah. uh, and yeah, had there been no economic crisis, we wouldn't see a a demand for political change, and that's part of the reason why There's, this type of change hasn't happened before. That the economy was limping al along, just enough to satisfy enough people, but once mm -hmm. it crashed, everybody was impacted. And suddenly, there's a demand for change. That that's that's rather special in, in the Lebanese context. That, that in other words, that is the magic of October 17 that everyone saw eye to eye for a moment. But it's a m money. It's it's monetary rather than rather than maybe what we're sort of going back and forth on, which is the sort of the political aspirations ending ta if finding a way forward that's better. I mean. And without being too hard on anyone, just they're, yeah, they're not very different, uh, mm -hmm. at least in my opinion. Yes. I, I don't think we can uh, we can talk about politics without looking at uh, at the economy, right? Uh, and and I think you know, um, um, as a sociologist, I think there's a very strange disappearance of uh, class analysis. Uh, uh, of course, it's, I understand why, uh, but I think, uh, you know, it, it's important. I mean, yeah. uh, class is a real d divide in society. And mm. uh, uh, it's it's not just about, uh, you know, uh, uh, ideologies or an economic determinism. Uh, but and we've seen this very, to me, it was very clear uh, that, uh, you know, the uprising had a, a, a clear class dynamic. Um, it's saying that it was only that is also, uh, you know, I mean, one we, one has to also include uh, gender politics. Uh, mm -hmm. One has to include, uh, you know, so and and how all of these uh, uh, different struggles actually intersect and overlap. Uh, so, uh, but but I think that uh, you know when I when I said that in Lebanon, it's it's a clear case where the economy was or the economic uh, uh, crisis was. Uh, the main switch, if you want, mm. uh, it doesn't mean that there was nothing before. I mean, the, a crisis doesn't come from nowhere. Right. Uh, so yeah. things have been boiling for a while. Um, people have been asking for a political change um, ever since Lebanon was created right. uh, yeah. from the you very know, beginning. So it's I, not like anything new. I did an episode uh, with, um, with Maha Yahya from Carnegie, and she the first ministerial statement with Riyad Salah going back 1943 is yeah. an end to sectarianism. I mean, that's the foundation. So yeah, I mean, it's yes. from, the, from the start, yeah. 
I mean, from the start, uh, at first there was a debate of uh, whether we wanted uh, Lebanon or not. <laughs> then yeah. there was a debate on what kind of <laughs> Lebanon, and uh, people right. always something, wanted uh, something different. And you know, uh, but this is, but I agree with you that uh, you know, uh, we see changes here and there with students' elections, with many groups trying to organize, uh, mm. with you know, uh, uh, an attempt to revive some. Uh, uh, labor movement, uh, etc., and these are very important. Right. Um, but I'm, you know, I, I, I'm not deterministic. So I, I, we cannot say now that this will necessarily or uh, uh, eventually lead to the change that we uh, that we envision. Mm. Uh, these are, and and one of the main reasons is uh, again looking at just what is happening in the society this year. Um, we're talking about an exodus. People are leaving yes. Lebanon in yeah. huge numbers. Yeah. Uh, so what will happen to this movement is also very much, uh, you know, linked to who is who is going to uh, be here, who's going, what are uh, people who, people who have already left, or people who are out. So the Lebanese diaspora, what role will they play? You know, in many in many countries, especially in dictatorships, uh, the the diaspora plays a very important role in political change. Uh, the Lebanese diaspora so far has been uh, mainly focusing on charity, especially after, I mean, there were, there were mobilizations to the embassy, but after the explosion, it was mainly about fundraising, etc., yeah, which I true. understand. Yeah. But I think, you know, it's, it's mainly about politicizing these, uh, you know, the Lebanese uh, 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 communities, if you want, uh, uh, everywhere. Um, and it's also about who remains in the country. Uh, you know, we always talk about the importance of the youth and, and revolutions. Uh, you know, I teach at the university, uh, maybe AUB represents a certain uh, class in this uh, country, but I think we have students from uh, different backgrounds. I don't have a single student who, want to, who wants to stay in the country. Everyone wants to leave. I write more than 15 recommendation letters a week uh, for people who want to leave, uh, oh, people wow. who are applying. Um, so just seeing this happening, uh, uh, you know, these are, and, and this is why I like to bring more the social aspect, uh, 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 because we can discuss politics, we can talk about the geopolitics. I mean, these are things that are clear and that are often discussed. I think what is missing in this discussion is what are the transformations that are happening in our society? Uh, who is going to be able to afford education? Yeah. Uh, these are, these are, you know, when we talk about, uh, you know, a lost generation in, in the Syrian society, uh, we are. We can start uh, already thinking about, you know, something similar in Lebanon. If things continue the way they are, uh, we we are already seeing huge uh, dropouts from schools and and universities or education. Uh, job markets are closed. The Gulf is now closing for uh, for uh, Lebanese. Yeah. So you know these. So we have waves of uh, and it's an economy that is based on, uh, you know, our the main product we we export to the world is human beings. Um, and we import everything else. Uh, so, um, so this is why I say, you know, we cannot just keep talking about changing the the or just cosmetic changes without tackling this core that this is a system that does not an economic system that does not produce anything. So we don't have a real economy, yeah. uh, and it's it's actually a political system that does not want to produce anything. Uh, you know, it's uh, I mean, politicians do not really want. Uh, 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 a change at the economic level because this is how sectar sectarian clientelism and you know uh, the the system of uh, uh, clientelism flourishes. Um, uh, you know we need we they uh, you know I think that it's one of the the 
plans for recovery in Lebanon is to is to is to send our youth abroad so they can send us uh, fresh daughters and, and remittances. Uh, and this has always been the plan for the Lebanese state. Uh, this is why I'm saying we need uh, we need a radical transformation in uh, in the way we're uh, we're approaching the question of of the economy, not as something that is technical or as something that is an old cliche from the Soviet Union, uh, but as as something that is real and that is really shaping uh, uh, dynamics in society and that is really shaping where people are going and what people are doing. Uh, no, we have an economy that has no appetite for qualified labor, mm. although most of our youth are qualified, are highly educated. What exactly do you mean by revolutionary? Are, are you, in that sense, pointing at the economics rather than the politics? That, that I'm the pointing at both. B- both, I'm okay. Pointing at bo- so I'll tell you, I, I mean, yeah. a revolutionary uh, versus uh, reformist. Uh, right, right. In other words, in that, that sense. Yeah. Now, can I? Yeah. That, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Sorry, sorry, I keep interrupting you, please. Uh, so yeah, in the sense that, uh, um, and and this is where I say that the, the lack of a political vision and yeah. uh, you know a political theory that that uh, that shapes the movement, uh, and that also understands reality. Uh, we cannot really uh, you know we cannot have political uh, uh, programs if we don't really know what we're dealing with. Um, so right. so. Uh, and a revolutionary in that sense, but I, I also, I mean, in that in that part of the article, I was also trying to engage a bit with uh, 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 d- debates that have started in 2011 and that uh, that have reemerged in the second wave, um, and that I'm I'm a bit um, unhappy with, which is, you know, uh, this the idea. Well, first, I mean, a discursive. Uh, uh, fight over is it a revolution or is it or an uprising or is it a yeah. movement or is yeah, it a yeah. revolt i mean yeah. okay we can play semantics as, as much as we want uh, but i think in, in reality the question is what are we trying to say mm-hmm. and i say i personally i think that if people have mobilized in the streets saying that what they're doing is a revolution we should take them seriously uh, not mm-hmm. not because mm-hmm. they will succeed Mm. Uh, but because I mean, uh, uh, well, in order to, to in order for a revolution to happen, you need to have a, uh, you need to have a concept of revolution in your political imaginaries. Um, so I mean, this idea that everything is predetermined and everything is nicely packaged, and you know, if the revolution is not exactly how we want it to be, then it's not a revolution. Uh, I don't really like it, and I think that we need to, uh, you know, uh, and I, I think it's also a bit elitist. Uh, you know, you would only say this if you don't, if you don't really, uh, if you're not really involved on the ground. If you are involved, you would know how difficult those things are and how difficult it is to push. Uh, on another hand, there's a there's um, you know many, and maybe this is more a scholarly debate, but uh, this idea of revolutions without revolutionaries. Uh, and, and that, you know, what, hap- what started in 2011 are, are maybe revolutions, but, uh, uh, but, uh, but there were no revolutionaries. Um, I, the arguments are, um, you know, are about the lack of leadership, the lack of political visions. But I, but I also think it's, it's unfair to the people who have paid their lives, people who have paid, you know, blood, right. uh, people who have yeah. sacrificed. Um, and just telling them, you, you know, you're not revolutionaries because we don't think that what you've done is good enough uh, or because you did not. And we know that success or failure at this point is not just about what people do. And part of it is how well people organize, etc. But it's also, I mean, there are structures, there are, there are yep. geopolit- geopolitics, there, there are so many other uh, variables. So I uh, so I think that it's, it's unfair um, to the people of, of the region. 
And I think it's also, I mean, although this is criticism that usually comes from people who claim to be very revolutionary themselves, I think it's a very neoliberal reading. May it's I ask so you, focused on the individual. May, may I ask so, you, I, I, I sometimes I get sort of lost I'll, I'll no 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 i'm always lost that's <laughs> i take that for granted i mean in life i think i'm permanently lost but i mean it in terms of the what these words actually mean when it comes to the lebanese story and i hear this word thrown around all the time neoliberalism thrown around i don't mean i don't mean to sound condescending i meant it's it's uh-huh. left and right in a way that i sometimes don't really know what the person is talking about and i i'd, I'd like to sort of narrow it down in the lebanese context uh-huh. Again, going back to that, so, re- re- the revolutionary process, or that it has to be a revolutionary revolution. That, the, the, in other words, the the oh. word revolutionary is important here. Does that mean upending the economic system, not the sectarian system? I'm really trying to get at what is it that's really at stake now that needs to be mm. done in order to mm. usher in something better. And the economic Once you- Mm, sorry. Mm. Once once you upend one of them, the uh, the, the the other will automatically end. So you see, it's I all, see, so it's, it's, it's a all, yeah, yeah, yeah. This yeah, is yeah, why yeah, I call yeah, it. Right. This is why I call it uh, sectarian and neoliberalism. Right. Right. Uh, so uh, it's not sectarian and neoliberal. It's sectarian neoliberalism. It's both, uh, and they feed into each other. Right. Mm, mm. Um, now, what I, what I mean by uh, by that is uh, specifically in the post-war uh, period, it's a system that. Uh, that has uh, taken uh, austerity as its main approach okay. to, uh, yes. to, to yes. uh, you know, the economy. Right. Uh, it's also, you know, it's, it's the lack of uh, it's the lack of uh, state uh, or state welfare. Uh, so in Lebanon, we have what Melanie Kamets called non-state welfare through political parties and, and yes. sectarian uh, leaders who have their own uh, institutions institutions, their own hospitals, their own schools, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also a system, when I said it's, it's also a bit different than when we talk about neoliberalism in other parts of the world, Latin America, or, right. yeah. uh, in, in the sense that uh, the, the state or the public sector is still a big sector, but it's used so there's a lot of employment in the public, right? So it's not that you're completely rolling back the, the, the state, but it's that the state is used for the interest of the private sector. Right. Uh, that is right. controlled by the sectarian leaders, right? Whereas in uh, uh, logically, it should be the other way around. You know, the state has to protect the citizens uh, and, and the people. And, yes. and this is why when I say a change of the constitution, uh, it's because our constitution is based on these two pillars. So the constitution is based on the pillar of uh, the um, a, a completely a free market and uh, a centrality for Property is is almost more important than uh, than human life, uh, and and this is by constitution. And on the other hand, you have the pillar of political uh, sectarian representation. Um, so, and I think as as long as we're trapped in this in this kind of system, it's difficult to imagine a way forward. Um, so, uh, so it's taking it a step further than the crony capitalism argument. That in other words, it's it's beyond that. Crony capitalism, you can you can sort of take that across the board. The cr- yeah, but in the Lebanese context, since it is a confessional power sharing model, it becomes by default a sectarian neoliberal sort of pro- construct that that becomes mm. very difficult to untangle. And I'm assuming that that explains why why the political change always sort of gets frustrated without economic pain. It's almost yeah. like October 17 is really sort of unwebbing a sectarian neoliberal thing 
and make yes. it sort of for what it is, which is a, yeah. a failed project. Yes, and I think this is this is the strength of October 17th is mm. that um, uh, this was a moment where uh, uh, people revolted against both pillars of the system at right. once. Yeah. So we usually have the anti-sectarian, you know, uh, uh, civil peace, etc. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Or you have just the economic, and but that was a moment where it for even if it was just for a futile moment, <laughs> it became so clear to everyone's eye that this is one system. It's both right, right. and it's together. And you cannot undo one without undoing the other because they, they, they live off each other. Right. They, they feed each other. And, uh, you know, and, and the fact that people were saying us versus them, the fact that people saw the bankers and the banks as part of the political system, they right. were the main targets of the uprising. Uh, while people were saying that we want to change the regime, they were targeting uh, uh, the, the central bank and they were targeting the association of the bankers. So they saw this as part of the regime. And they're very correct. <laughs> it is part of the regime. Right. Uh, the regime, I'm not saying the political uh, 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 or, or the politicians or just the, the political class, but it's, it's a regime that is, uh, you know, that has its political and its economic leg. So regime, regime in that sense is all of the above. It's, it's everything that has defined the economics of Lebanon and the politics of Lebanon. The regime and in the, the military. And the military. So it has a third. Yes. It has yeah. a third. Leg. Right, right. The security component to that. Yeah. Right. Because I mean, security is an important component in clientelism. I mean, we, when we talk about sectarianism and clientelism yeah. in Lebanon, we talk about you know uh, the just the economic aspect of it that right. they buy votes yeah. or they pay people or they give them jobs or uh, well, one one very strong component of of clientelism is is that they either provide security or they actually play it against you. Uh, so we know that many people in, in, in different neighborhoods, for example, and this is from uh, research that I've done, uh, who participated in the protests, uh, they were then threatened in their neighborhoods that, uh, uh, you know, they would throw them in jail for anything that, for, you know, they, uh, for false <laughs> allegations. Right, uh, right. And this is one of the tools, and, and this is because the, judi ju the judiciary system is co-opted, this is one of the tools that uh, the the this regime uses. So you see, sometimes they mobilize in terms of repression and the counter-revolutionary forces, if you want, they sometimes mobilize the army. At other points, they mobilize the security forces. And at other points, they just mobilize the militias. You know, uh, so, so in a way, it's, it's a, part it's, of that. Right. The regime is all of the above. And that, that I think, but I, I don't want to speak on your behalf here, but I'm assuming that simply includes every body invested in keeping the status quo, whether it's Hezbollah on one side or uh, the any political party that opposes Hezbollah on the other side, or even the army in the middle and every sort of economic interest, that it's everything trying to preserve the way Lebanon has malfunctioned. D d am I getting yes. that right? Yeah. Yeah. And this applies to every other country, not just Lebanon. I mean, this right. is what we see in every other, you know, revolutions. Uh, usually, it's when the army defects or or yes, uh, yeah, turns right. that that you know there's a breakthrough. Yes. Um, so this is this is a typical. Uh, so there, again, there's nothing exceptional here, uh, right. with the exception right. of maybe the militia. But we've also seen like the Baltagia in, in Egypt and and every, I mean and, and the Janjaweed in, in Sudan. Uh, um, but again, I mean, these are examples. So Sudan is an example that, uh, you this know, was even in, in, in very... This is Darfur, if I'm not mistaken, right? The Janjaweed, yeah. yes, yeah, right, yeah. right. 
Yeah. But I mean, even in, in uh, post-war uh, uh, se- uh, countries where, uh, you know, there is a very uh, uh, complex political uh, and, and economic makeup, they succeeded somehow. And so I, I, I'm not saying that uh, today it's great, uh, um, but, but they, they succeeded in creating a sort of a transition. Um, and, and this is why I say it's not impossible in Lebanon. Yeah. Uh, we just need to, uh, uh, you know, we need to look at what are the pieces of the puzzle that are missing. And I think organization is, is key here. Let me take it one step further on the organization. And I've already taken too much of your time. I, I promise not to take much more. I, uh, the organization story in that my understanding is there is some momentum in terms of offering an alternative, at least when it comes to elections, uh, maybe municipal or even political uh, parliamentary elections that you may see names emerging that are not from the usual suspects or their political parties. Uh, that seems to be happening at a, at a fairly slow place, but it's, but it's happening. Is, is that the only way out? Meaning that you have to enter the system. And in that sense, reform becomes the sort of modus operandi, right? That that's the way that's the way I would understand sort of changing the system from within. Or do you see it differently? That it's that there's no there's no there's no patience for that because time has run out. That there's just there's nothing we can do from within anymore. You have to overhaul. Yeah, it's not. I don't think it's because time has run out. And as much as I think that it's it's almost impossible to change Mm, from within. mm. within. I'm not. I mean, uh, you know. If this is something, I know that a lot of, of uh, campa- people are already preparing campaigns, and I know yes. that you know there's a lot of effort happening there. Um, and uh, you know, fair enough. My own political reading is that um, it's very unlikely to to uh, to happen from within. And this is specifically because I said to me the problem is in the system; it's not in just changing names, right? So if you are within, but you have no power, and we've seen this repeatedly. I mean, we've seen prime ministers who have no power. We've seen, and we know that power in Lebanon does not lie inside the institutions, right? Uh, We know that power is outside. And we know that every, at every single uh, turning point in Lebanon, it's always a parallel institution that is created specifically for that moment um, that becomes the main institution, right? So we had, uh, so we have a parliament, but we created uh, Tawlit al-Hiwar, uh, yeah. the, the dialogue yeah. table. We have, you know, it's always these parallel structures, yeah. and it's to make sure that uh, institutions are void of power. There's no power there. Right. So to me, this is, you know, this is a, a lot of effort that will go into, um, uh, you know, uh, and that might actually lead to a lot of deception because uh, there are people who truly believe that if you get in. Uh, you might change. Um, my understanding of the Lebanese system is that uh, it doesn't work this way. So and without, we know that things, I mean, things happen uh, behind closed doors elsewhere. But without... Or without, in the streets. Yeah, but I, I, don't, I hope I'm not misunderstanding. I want to just make sure. Is this, in a sense, a call for storming the gates? In other words, it's time. that There are enough reasons now to sort of usher in something new. And that that, in a way, requires a real unrest that is like other countries. In other words, Lebanon has not done that step, meaning the the takeover of the state. Mm-hmm. Is, is that where you're going in terms of what revolutionary really means? As if there's an MP that emerges with a name that somebody recognizes from the protest movement, that might not be the way to do it. That person should be forcing their way in and ushering radical I change. wouldn't. 
I wouldn't be unhappy if an MP uh, uh, that is, uh, you know, uh, from the opposition makes mm. it. I'm not trying to say that. Mm, mm. And uh, the only, the only, uh, uh, I mean, uh, what I differ with you is that uh, is with temporality. Mm, uh, yeah. Storm uh, the gates, yes. Now, I'm not sure. I don't think now. I think, uh, you know, for something like this to happen, one has to be prepared for it. And I don't think we are mm, politically mm. At, at that moment yet. So if in the meantime, building up uh, to that, uh, you know, to, uh, 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 when I say storm the, the, the gates, it could be, you know, it could take different shapes, uh, mm. but it's really uh, cornering the regime to, the, uh, to a place where it would, uh, it would really, uh, uh, you know, uh, crumble. And, yeah. uh, this could, and this is why I'm saying, for example, the diaspora can play a big role. I see. Uh, the yes. uh, uh, you know it's not just uh, uh, because I, because we know I mean yes it's a country where every party has its its uh, its militia and arms and so things can turn uh, uh, very violent very quickly and 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 maybe you know um, sometimes I think that uh, maybe there's no other way out it it is a very violent regime and they're not going to just give us power. Mm. Uh, because they understand that we're unhappy. Right. Uh, so this clash has to happen uh, somewhere. And uh, so far, it's, uh, you know, they've managed to still contain uh, the, the explosion. I don't think, it, you know, they can, they can do it for too long. But again, who, I mean, it depends on how things unfold. Uh, but yes, I'm definitely from the opinion that uh, it's not going to happen from within uh, the, the institutions unless we change the institutions themselves. If you don't change the constitution, if you don't change the system, just going in will not change anything. You know, I, I think in the over 200 conversations I've had on sort of related related topics and often trying to understand why things are not moving in certain directions at certain times, I think this is the first time I've heard somebody sort of saying later. In other words, storming the gates is premature. And I like that. I like that sort of framework. That things are not where they need to be in order to usher in that type of change. So that's almost. Um, it goes back to the beginning of your piece, and you know, it's it, there is a bit of a comedic undertone in your piece, and I like it. I'm going to quote one passage. I, I, I laugh when I read it, <laughs> and this is you sort of speaking about your I'm, own. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Oh, I, I believe me, I enjoyed it because I'm going to explain why. I'll. I'll mm. It starts with my refusal, meaning your refusal. <laughs> my refusal yeah. to mark 17 October as a quote anniversary stems from concerns over commodification, displaced temporalities, and reactionary impulses. Historical events are usually commemorated once they are over, not where they are unfolding. Otherwise, they risk, become, they risk becoming celebrations that resemble Valentine's Day or Mother's Day, marking an abstract ideal and potentially becoming highly commercialized. Now, the reason I found this hilarious is because I'm reading this piece. I have a Valentine's Day mug, Mother's Day sort of stuff. And I'm like, oh, my God, is this? <laughs> it's like, can you even imagine a 17 October mug or a card happy 17 october yeah so you really you took me home in other words i i finally saw what you were i understood the message which is we're not there we're so not there maybe maybe 20 years from now that'll be something you want to have as a whatever as memorabilia but it's just too soon and i think that's the emotional impulse i felt which is yes it is premature it's premature in, in many ways 
But just sort of to wrap it up where, with where you see things moving, at least, at least the near medium term, are you putting in a way the onus or in more blunt terms, the, the burden on the youth? Meaning that as we kind of hinted at earlier that there's an expiration date, people, the familiar crowd, they're not going to live much longer. And probably their children will not inherit the throne the way their parents sort of ushered in themselves during during the Civil War, after the Civil War. That this is not going to be a, this, there's no longer family dynasty. In other words, politics is bound to change, but it's the youth and the youth have to grow up. Is that sort of the time frame where it takes time for this new generation to sort of mature into changing the state, storming the gate, whatever. In other words, that Lebanon just needs more time until we can have those celebrations. And it, and it, it falls on the youth. Uh, no. <laughs> no. Okay. <laughs> no. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I don't want it to fall on the youth. And, mm. and part of why I wanted to write this article, uh, and when I wrote it, it's because I felt very uncomfortable with this, with the very judgmental, you know, uh, and, and uh, commemorating, it also comes with, uh, you know, with joy, but also with a lot of pain. And with the with the sense of achievement, and again, when I say you know, uh, I know I use the word a lot, but when I when I say you know, we we are we are the products uh, of uh, of the systems we live under, right? Mm, mm. Uh, and and therefore we are also products of, uh, or, or we are the subjects of a, a capitalist system that has that has shaped us in a way where we and and especially at, with with the neoliberal era where we want fast results we want multiple choice exams we want you know it's it's like you make it or break it it's now and i think we just need to take a break and breathe and accept that life is actually a bit more complicated than that and that you know change uh, it might take longer uh, it might not be much longer and it might take decades i mean we don't really know um but at least what happened was that it put us on on the uh, on the track where we we realized that we need to do something right that something big has started um and and that yes there is a responsibility on all of us not just the youth mm -hmm. uh, but everyone to do what we can do but also it's not it, i don't want this to be read as an an, an uh, you know, as saying that the responsibility falls on the shoulders of individuals, uh, because individuals cannot change uh, history. Mm. Uh, we need we need organizations. We need political parties. We need new uh, political uh, uh, ideologies and new theories and new ways of of reading and imagining the world. And we also need to dare to dream about you know uh, achieving the the impossible. You know. Uh, 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 you know, che Guevara says, uh, "Be realistic and ask for the impossible." And I think it's it's beautiful uh, if we if we don't leave, if we don't give the space to our imagination to actually imagine an alternative that is very different and that is uh, that is that is uh, uh, fair to to us as human beings and to our planet and you know uh, uh, inclusive to everyone uh, you know Lebanese refugees non uh, 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 migrant workers. Uh, but also the environment and also animals and, and everyone that lives in our system. Um, if we don't allow those spaces and if we don't allow space for those discussions and those political projects to develop, uh, you know, you'll be, you'll be eating a hamburger from McDonald's. Uh, if you give it enough time, you might have a really good dish uh, that is well 
so so I'm just I, I just feel that I don't want to be I don't want to be the victim of the pressures of time and yeah. I think yeah, that, yeah. you know uh, it's wiser if if we are able to assess where we are and to to strategize and to mobilize and to organize according to what we need and not according to what uh, you know there's a textbook of revolution tells us that this is what it should be um, and and this requires a change in how we understand politics but without that change um, there's very little that will change uh, uh, radically i appreciate that wider perspective on where we are and where things are moving and i i really enjoyed the piece and i think it's it's a in a way, it's a privilege for me to even gauge your mind on exactly what you meant at times word for word. But it uh, it helps me understand also um, other areas that I, all, I, I don't think we all focus on all the time. And I think uh, it's a healthy sort of exchange. And I, I like understanding exactly what the economic concerns are and what Storming the Gate is to somebody in 2020 who's seen a year of sort of dramatic change and willing to hold out. There's a lot of patience in your piece and, and with what you're saying. And I think that's well well needed. And the hamburger reference, of course, you're, you know, it's so well said. It tastes great, but have a healthy meal. Take your time and you'll live longer. <laughs> in a way, it's, uh, it's an appropriate analogy. Thank you Thank so you. much uh, for you. inviting me and, and for being so generous. Um, and I, I hope the discussions will continue. I hope so too. And uh, we owe it to 3G that we were able to save this episode. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Minor glitches here and there, but it, it worked. So yeah. thank you, Jima, appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for listening. And a friendly reminder to help support this podcast by contributing through Patreon or PayPal. All links are in the details box below. Until next time, I'm Rani Shatah, and this is the Beirut Banyan. Thank you.